Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, um, have you ever, like, run out of gas, metaphorically? Have you ever felt like the not only... Did your cart tip over, but the damn cart fell off the bridge and smashed into a million pieces? Have you ever felt that you had no no more choices left? You didn't know what to do? Maybe it was from the report from the doctor talking about an an illness you didn't know about or a divorce, losing your job, um, heartache from military service or some kind of a brutal environment. You know, it's... I remember doing uh, shows during 2020, and I swear, every week there was a new uh, conundrum. And uh, it seemed like it was like a slow-motion rototiller just churning up the collective consciousness. Well, tonight we've got a, a, a a great show lined up. The topic tonight is getting through it, and our guest tonight is Alexandra... Sharon. We're going to bring her on in just a minute, Um, and the topic is the title of her book, Getting Through It. The the subtitle is Reclaim and Rebuild Your Life After Adversity, Change, or Trauma. Your Life After Adversity, Change, or Trauma. I've I've had men's groups and talked to men who have gone through divorces or gone through um, uh, very, very challenging uh, domestic issues. And when you run, when you run out of rope, when you, when you don't have anything that you can hold on to, it seems like everything is crumbling between your fingers and you, and you just, you, you don't know how to put anything back together. That is such a vulnerable, vulnerable feeling. And and um, how do you how do you get back on your feet? How do you how do you get the the cart back back set back up? How do you how do you get your stride? How do you get your momentum? How do you get your stance? Your posture? Your cadence. I think so many people have have had a very challenging year or more now, and that's what I really like about tonight's topic. I think we should get right to it because I think there's some good content waiting for us here. Again, the topic tonight is getting through it. Alexandra presents personal stories and proven techniques for healing and handling trauma. With her help, you can rebuild your life in the wake of illness, divorce, death, and other grief-inducing circumstances. Getting through it supports you not only staying positive, in the face of difficult times, but also comforts you when the positivity is not enough. Alexandra has spent several years developing the best strategies for getting through incredible hardships, discovered traditional and alternative methods of healing, how to recover your emotional and physical strength, and ways to find your new normal. Join me in welcoming Alexandra to the show. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I don't know how many times I can say what a timely book for 2020. (laughs) Absolutely. Definitely not my divine timing because I wrote it earlier than 2020. I started writing it in 2017. So, 
Yeah, it just kind of worked out this way, so to speak. I don't think uh, heartache or, or difficult times has a particular season when there's 7 billion people on the planet. Oh, yeah. How do you, uh, how do you relate to this topic yourself? Well, I went through a country song of a few years in my life. You know, it started out with a bang. I think I, I got in a nasty car accident uh, that bashed me up quite a bit. I healed from that, and no sooner did I heal from that that I found out I had cancer, and it was it was pretty bad. It was stage 3C breast cancer, triple positive. So I had to go through the whole works of chemotherapy, radiation treatment, multiple surgeries, and then right after that, because, you know, life doesn't wait while you get your, your stuff together, uh, right after that I was plunged into a divorce because, unfortunately, my uh, husband couldn't take it and he had to take off. And uh, I had been with him for 14 years, so that was very, very difficult times. And so uh, I even lost the dog. That's what makes it a complete country song. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was... It was a rough time for sure, and I dealt with a lot of feelings, and I dealt with a lot of um, techniques and read so many books on healing, and I feel like I have some strategies gained the hard way that I'm hoping to pass on to people who are also struggling to find their own resilience. Because... When everything's going fine, you don't think about this stuff. I mean, who who in who in the late 2019 were were riding their career and and life looked great and and what's there to worry about and yeah. And the thing is, with everything going wrong with 2020, all of the normal things that can go wrong are still going wrong, you know. Right. Life doesn't take a break, you know. Just because you have cancer doesn't mean that you get to opt out of going through a divorce, you know, that kind of thing. Well, let's let's break it down. I mean, so you, you come home at the end of the day when things are going well, and you've got a front door, and you walk through the front door, and you're in a... You're in a home, and in the home there's there's food in the cupboard, and there's a bed in the bedroom, and you have everything you need to to lead your life. And then on the flip side of that, when it all falls apart, uh, depending on the heartache, maybe you don't have a front door anymore. Maybe there's not food or a, even a cupboard to have food in. I mean, there's so many ways the wheels can fall off of a perfectly normal life. When Oh, yeah. I remember going through uh, food scarcity during the divorce and, and really struggling with that. You know, again, like you said, the front door wasn't there anymore. I had to find somewhere else to live, and I, you know, food was scarce. I remember going through a day with just, giving my kids all the food, you know, and me not having enough food. And I remember having pancakes for dinner because you can make a lot of pancakes for cheap. And I remember that the Cancer Care Center donated some food to me. And I remember not eating the dried apricots because I was like, this is fancy, healthy food. I can't eat that. i got to save this for the kids. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it was tough times, but you can get through it. So, I mean... When you're not used to being in such a difficult situation, how do you how do you get your footing again? I mean, I, what I liked about the the intro is it talked about uh, physical and emotional strength. I mean, how do you how do you foster that even when you're not back on your feet, so to speak? I think we all have inner strength. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it. I remember one time when I thought that my inner light had just been totally extinguished. You know, the divorce was what, what did it to me. I can, I can honestly say that divorce is harder than cancer. <laughs> but uh, I was really struggling with that. And, uh, you know, you used a metaphor at the beginning of the show. You talked about writing the card, you know, when it falls over. And I really like that metaphor because I think that strong people like myself – try spend way too much energy trying to write the cart 
and it's never going to get right again. So sometimes you got to either find a new cart or jump on the horse and hang on for dear life until you do find a new cart. And that's what this book is all about. A lot of times when when people come up against hardships that they've never felt before, they can uh, try to um, avoid it or, or numb it or um, perhaps take up drinking or uh, some other forms of addiction. How do, you, how do you process feelings that are new to you and very intense and, and yet you don't have any, you don't have a skill set for them? Boy, how, how do you process that? Yes, there's a lot of learning that has to go on the fly, and the numbing thing is a big is a big problem, right? Because yeah, you can definitely numb those feelings for a time, which may be very tempting because you think, oh, maybe I'll be in a better position to deal with these big feelings later. But the problem is, you have to feel those feelings. You have to feel them, and if you numb them, they're not going to go away. You can't process them properly. So you have to find ways to allow yourself safe spaces to feel those feelings. So I include a lot of exercises. You know, some of them are very straightforward, like what an art therapist would tell you to do, you know, paint an angry painting kind of thing and, and you know, writing a letter and all kinds of, of tools that a therapist would tell you to do. Um, these are things that you can do to help make those feelings come outside of your body, you know, and and be able to express them in healthy ways. And that's really what it's all about, is expressing those feelings in healthy ways so that you can process through them. There's no shortcut. Well, let's break that down. I mean, to when you say express that feeling, if if I have a if I have a feeling that's really um difficult to feel and I don't like the feeling and uh, um, I might even have self-pity and whatnot. The last thing I'll want to do is process it. So when you say process, let's let, let's really put some clarity to that. Can you kind of give us uh, the expanded view of what that looks like? Yeah, sure. First, I want to give a little disclaimer because there are some big feelings that need extra help from a therapist. Like if you have depression, it's not the same as having a big SAD, right? Clinical depression needs treatment. And similarly, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, might need treatment. But there are some things that can be learned from post-traumatic stress disorder treatment. Um, let me talk a little bit about that. So what's a weird thing is that cancer survivors often get PTSD about hospitals, right? Because they oh, yeah. spend so much time getting really very brutal treatments at these hospitals, very very barbaric kind of things that, that happen to the body in those hospitals. And it can be very jarring. And so then when they get to go away from the hospital, they don't want to go come back. And when they come back to, for just an ordinary visit, they'll feel those same feelings. And, you know, we know those feelings as the heart will start racing, you know, we might start sweating, perhaps we'll feel overwhelmed with imagery coming back to the mind, those are symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. And what therapists will often do in order to help people find recovery from post-traumatic stress disorder is what's called gradual exposure. And this is also used for phobias, you know, like if you're afraid of a spider, you might start by looking at a picture of a spider, you know, and then maybe start by being in the same building as a spider, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the same city. <laughs> yeah, and PTSD, the way that looks like is that you want to layer your terrible experience with positive experiences. So, you know, I had a dance class at that same hospital. So every time I would go to the hospital for dance class, I would layer on a new experience, like, okay, I'm not getting $50,000 worth of poisons injected in my veins today. I'm dancing. And even though my heart would still race and things like that, each time I was exposed to the hospital without the trauma, I was layering new feelings on top of the old. Now, what would have happened to me if I hadn't gone to dance classes at the hospital, but instead I never saw that hospital until I went back five years later. 
what would happen is all those all those memories from trauma would come flooding back because they hadn't had a chance to be confronted through gradual processing, gradual exposure, and layering those new feelings, those new contexts over those old feelings and those negative contexts. So what we're really talking about here is is methods, modalities of of moving through the feelings to give ourselves the space to feel it and and even though it might not be comfortable um, to feel it and then be proactive enough to bring some some positive elements to 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 take the edge off the negative is is that right yeah exactly so you start having some normal everyday feelings on top of the panic emergency feelings. You know, humans are such simple creatures. We have the fight or flight adrenaline rush when we're in danger, right? Uh, another example is after my car accident. Boy, I couldn't get in a car <laughs> for a little while after that. Well, it was a pretty terrifying one. A, a truck uh, crossed the double yellow line and hit my car head on, you know, wow. and my yeah, my engine ended up in my knees, and, you know, my radio ended up in my lap, and the, the thank goodness for airbags. It was a very, very scary accident. And what happened is my adrenaline kicked in. All of my survival mechanisms happened in my brain to say, stay away from cars. Stay away from cars, monkey. They're dangerous, right? Right. <laughs> and so, and so um, what I had to do was start gradually exposing myself to cars, because the last time I had been in one was an emergency, right? So what I needed to do was be around cars, see headlights again without an emergency happening. And I, at first, absolutely, I had those panic feelings. Every time I would see headlights, because I saw the headlights just before they impacted, every time I would see headlights, I would feel that panic. My heart would race and my breathing would speed up. But every time I did, I was in a new context. I was safe. I was not having an emergency. And so if you layer those experiences like I did, I layered those experiences with cars where there wasn't an emergency happening. It was just ordinary, everyday life. We get through that. And, you know, I remember right after the accident when I was trying to get my insurance company to pay for therapy, and the lady on the line said, you I encourage you to get the therapy sooner rather than later. Don't wait for us to give the okay because the sooner you can start processing it, this the the better you'll recover. You know, and that's very true. If you leave it for a long time, it can be harder to start layering new feelings on top of those old ones that are so strong. Right, right, and and the the. Like, like, you know, perhaps the word is the rawness of it. I mean, it, yeah. so we're, we're talking about processing the, the heartache, the, the heaviness, the difficulty, the challenge, if you will. Now, you know, one thing about 2020 is whole industries were put on the shelf, like uh, conventions at big uh, convention halls. Didn't that, didn't happen at all. Yeah. And and you know, there's people that have been in that industry for decades, and they're looking to retire, and their income drops to zero. Now, uh, one of your chapters is called "Bargaining When Things Go Sideways." Now, if they've been working in this industry and it's been their bread and butter for decades and all of a sudden their skill set doesn't have a place to land, so to speak, how do you, how do you reprogram? I, I don't, I'm not sure I even want to put a word to it. When, when you talk about bargaining when things go sideways, uh, can you expand on that? Sure. Uh, I, my book is arranged around the Kuva Roth stages of grief, and I did that for several reasons. One is because we're pretty familiar with it in our culture. You know, we know that there's this denial piece, and then there's bargaining, and you know, sadness and anger, and finally we come to this place where we find our new normal and we find acceptance. Well, 
funnily enough, that, those theories were largely disproven. And intuitively, we know that to be true. We know that grief is more like a spiral, you know. Sometimes you come out of it for a little bit, and then sometimes it feels like two steps forward, one step back, right, as we're going through another loop of the spiral. And so bargaining is a piece of this. And the reason I chose the Kubler-Ross is because a lot of us feel like we are held to this this kind of thing, like we have, to, we have to recover right away. We have to bounce back, right? And this happens especially in the working world, like for that person who lost their livelihood. In this capitalist society, he's expected to just jump right back on the horse. Well, get a new job, you know? And if you don't get your old job, get one at McDonald's. Nobody has sympathy for this. Right. And I think what happens is a lot of the time, we go through some of these stages. It's not quite in order like the Kubler-Ross stages seem to imply, but there's definitely these stages where we start trying to argue with God, with 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 life, with the universe. That's the writing the cart thing, you know. When you yeah. said writing the cart, bargaining is when you're trying as hard as you can to put that cart back upright, and it's missing all its wheels. It's cracked in half. It's not going to go anywhere. But you keep fighting because you are trying so hard to make a bargain that it's not true, that everything can go back to normal. And that's what I mean by bargaining. Bargaining can take lots of forms, but it, you can think of it as going hand-in-hand hand with denial, you know, this idea that either this isn't happening or things can go exactly back to the way they were. Right. Well, it uh, the the white picket fence. the The white picket fence says that. Well, you know, if I if I go to college and I get a degree and now I'm educated, and now I go into the workforce and I'm qualified, so I'll get a job and and now I'll click off twenty years, thirty years, and then I'll retire. The the um, white picket fence idea of how life will be experienced, how we can navigate life, the way to prepare yourself for life. And that's even before 2020, that kind of started eroding. And and to, to stand up and, like, reinvent yourself, uh, that means showing up in ways you might not have ever... Um, held yourself to, so to speak. I mean, it, it, if you're put in a situation where you've got to, like, start from scratch a blank piece of paper and recreate your life, how do you how do you tune into your um, uh, intuition? How do you tune into your your the wisdom of your heart? I mean. If you've never done that before, the white picket fence fell over. <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you reinvent yourself midlife? Well, I think that um, part of it is the understanding that it's not going to be all better overnight, right? And we all we all know this in our heads, but our heart doesn't know this, and so we have to do a lot of self comfort. And I think that a lot of us in our culture have very negative feelings about feelings. Like, just look at the words we use to describe anger. It's explosive. You know, it's burning. It sounds very dangerous when we describe anger. It sounds like something that's really going to hurt us, like a fatal condition, right? Right. But the feelings are not fatal conditions. They're part of the human condition. So what I like to think of it as is um, treat yourself like you have an inner toddler that needs comfort. So, you know, when there's when there's a toddler crying, sometimes we want that crying to go away. We love that kid. We don't want that kid to feel sad. We're, we feel sad when they're sad. So a lot of parents will do whatever they can to fix the sadness right away. You know, like, here, honey, have some candy. Or, you know, even if they're not naughty parents like that, they might be like, oh, you know, shh, 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 you know, stop crying, stop crying, or you know, boys don't cry, they might do all kinds of backflips to try to stop the crying as soon as possible because they hate to see their child hurting. But what we need to understand as parents is that those sad feelings aren't actually causing irreparable harm to the child. 
And in fact, we can use that time of negative emotion to bond with that child and say, oh, honey, oh, yeah, that is so sad, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm disappointed too, and give them a hug. We can really turn that moment into a healing experience both for the parent and child. So treat your inner self like it's a toddler, you know. I mean, when I was going through my troubles, I definitely had an inner toddler. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm absolutely not going to to deal with this divorce, you know. There must be some way I can just stop it from happening, you know. And I had to just stop and comfort that toddler and say, you know, it's okay to be sad right now. You can't fix this sad today but we can feel that sad, and it's okay. It's not actually hurting you. Well, that, um, what I got out of that is, um, as you raise your children, I mean, how often do we, do we uh, don't want to, like you said, your child is crying, and it tugs on your heart, and you don't want that to happen, but to... To take the time and and model for your children that feeling sad is a natural part. I mean, and that way, when they feel sad on their own, it's they 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 have a skill set, they have an understanding of the feeling, and they can negotiate it. So, to to model, uh, I'm kind of shifting perhaps out of the the context of the book, but as a parent. If we don't give our children permission or if we don't model the ability to be sad or angry or whatnot, um, that kind of robs them of a skill set, wouldn't it? Absolutely. That's definitely true. And I think it's the same thing we're robbing ourselves if we try to take a shortcut, like numbing the pain through alcohol or drugs. You know, I don't want to look down. I'm not looking down at people who struggle with addiction. You know, addiction is a monster, and that's a disease in and of itself. But I mean, like, if I had turned to alcohol or pills or, or drugs to try to relieve the extreme emotional pain that I was feeling, I would be like the parent giving candy to the toddler, except a little worse, because obviously drugs are worse than candy. But, I mean, like, you know, the thing is I'd be robbing myself of the opportunity to become more resilient by processing some of those feelings. And and that would make your child, um, maybe tough's not the word, but experienced or skilled in in the ability to roll with the punches and and not yeah get wiped out it builds resilience in the children and like i said it can be a bonding experience and sometimes trauma and tragedy can help you bond i i i have a stronger bond now that i have with my stepfather than i did before cancer and the divorce you know he was just some guy beforehand but through going through my tough times and him sharing in my sadness, I was able to see that he really cared. And so that's kind of a silver lining thing that I took from the experiences is my bond that I made with my stepfather. I like that. Well, a lot of times people haven't ever had to ask for help. And and you're talking about a, a new relationship with your stepfather. When we when we go to recreate our life or or um, we find ourselves in a challenging condition. We might not be used to re- accepting help. Uh, our pride can get in the way. How do how do we kind of I don't know reprogram ourselves to 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 open up wider and actually receive some of the support that might be right in front of us, but we've never had to deal with it before? Yeah, I've struggled with that a lot. Um, you know, I, I like to think of myself as fiercely independent. I don't want to get help from others, but I needed a lot of help when I was going through cancer and chemotherapy and just I was completely useless for large periods of time. And one thing that I learned through this is to think of get the opportunity to help as a gift that you're giving to some of these other people. And I started to think this way just because of something my friend said to me. 
when she was offering to babysit my kids. Well, I did something for myself, and I said, gosh, I feel so bad. I hate allowing somebody to babysit my kids because I think I feel, it feels to me like I'm saying my time is more important than yours, you know. She was doing it for free, of course, and so it felt like I'm saying my time is more important than yours, you know. I'm going to go do things. And she said, no, no, no. What you're actually saying is, you know, I trust you enough to allow you to spend some of this precious time, this short time that children spend being children and be a part of their lives. And I've started to look at the way I look at helping others because I love helping others. And I feel sad if a friend, if I find out a friend never gave me the opportunity to help them when they were in need. And so now I try and allow myself to reach out for help more, uh, not because I'm needy or greedy, but because allowing others to help you can definitely be a gift. It's part of what we look for in our time here on Earth. And, and it brings about a, a, a sense of community, a sense of family, a sense of connectivity. How many people um, fall into anguish and kind of create a, a bubble or a cocoon of heartache and, and by isolating themselves, by, by not being open for that connectivity, for, that, for those resources? It, it collectively, it seems like 2020 is teaching us to kind of um, get to know our neighbors, get to know um, uh, a new dynamic as far because in 2019, staring at your phone might have consumed a vast majority of your of your consciousness, and and we lived in little bubbles or islands of of. Uh, separation, even though we were surrounded by people. Talk about the, I mean, getting through it from a from a culture, from a, a village, a tribe perspective. How does how does opening up to connect with other people help us as a tribe? That's a great one. You know, I think one of the the hard things about traumatic experience, about a crisis, is that it can undermine our trust in the world and especially in people. And what I think of when I think of that is when I was just getting started on my divorce's journey, um, it was right, right as I was nearing the end of treatment, I went on a cancer retreat that was really interesting that I'm going to come back to. It was just for cancer survivors. And um, unfortunately, during that time, I knew something was up with my husband. Unfortunately, he fell in love with a friend of mine. So um, while I went off to cancer, uh, cancer camp, you know, I went to this cool retreat for cancer survivors, I was in a lot of emotional turmoil because I was trying to think of anything I could do to save my marriage. And um, I thought the problem is when something like that happens to you, like a double betrayal, these, this is my best friend and my husband, so I felt like it was my whole horizon, you right, know? I right. felt like all, all humans are horrible because all I can see are these two people. They're my whole horizon. And so it felt like I just couldn't trust anyone. So I ended up at this cancer retreat with a whole bunch of total strangers, and they said, okay, this is a rock climbing retreat, and you're going to be learning about rock climbing. And the thing about rock climbing is, it looks really dangerous and it feels really dangerous, but you have somebody down below who's belaying you. And what belaying is, is it's a little pulley thing that they've got attached to your rope so that if you fall, you will only fall like a foot. You're not going to fall all the way to the ground and kill yourself, right? Right, right. So the thing was, we were new at rock climbing, but we were all, we all had to belay each other. So it wasn't like we had one partner we worked with for the whole week. You know, it was a different person every day, a different stranger. And I learned through that process, it was like a metaphor for what I was going through. Like, yeah, two people who seemed like they were my whole horizon betrayed me and disappeared on me, but there's these perfect strangers who are willing to be my lifeline in this moment. And they're everywhere. There's good people all over the place. Just because you happen to have a few bad apples in a row does not necessarily mean that everyone out there is evil. And I think that 
allowing yourself to trust in community and allowing community to trust in you is part of what's really elevating the compassion of all of us. Yeah, you mentioned compassion, and we all have our wheelhouse of connectivity, our immediate family, our, you know, and then our extended family, and I think for so many of us, 2020, there's been somebody in that group that stumbled and fell. Uh, Maybe in the past, in 2019, you'd see uh, a homeless person panhandling on the corner and think, you know, uh, you might not even think anything. And, And I think after you start watching people go through unexpected hardship, you can start to see that that's not that far off from people that you know. And I like that you brought up compassion. How does compassion, I mean, I would imagine for yourself, but how, how can compassion be a vehicle to take the bumps out of the road, so to speak? Yeah, uh, boy, when you mention homeless people and how people feel so disconnected from people experiencing homelessness, it's funny. Sometimes people will daydream about what they'd do if they won a million dollars, and they have this feeling that they are more likely to be a millionaire than to be homeless. But I can guarantee that pretty much everyone listening, you're way more likely to become homeless than to become a millionaire, unfortunately. So, yeah, (laughs) compassion is key. And one thing that I found helpful, and this was advice from my therapist. I can't take all the credit from this one. This oh, was come something. On. <laughs> this was this was something that. <laughs> this was, I've got a lot of stuff I stole from my therapist in here, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the thing is, you know, I was having a lot of trouble when. And a lot of this had to do with just my role shifting. Like you said, if you lose your career that you've had for a long time, well, I lost my role as wife, you know, overnight. And then I felt like I was losing my role as mother because, you know, for the the first time I I had times when my children were not with me, and that was a new experience for me. And I was struggling with it because I love helping my children through the day. That's just what makes my heart soar. And... When I told my therapist, you know, oh, I miss reading to them at night and poor me, wah-wah, she said, well, why don't you go read to children in the hospital, you know? Why don't you fill your life with service to others? And I was like, that's a good idea. And so from then on, whenever my kids would leave, and I still do this, I find a way to be of service to the community, you know, to, to grow my compassion for others. And you can fill a lot of void in your heart with service to others. You really can. And it can really help with the healing process as well. Oh, indeed. Compassion is is such a powerful elixir. It it affects everybody involved, it seems like. Well, so... So you were married, and I'm I'm just... I'm just drawing indifferent perspective. You're married, you're having a good time, you're a husband, you're in love, and and um, it feels wonderful. And what I'm getting at is uh, one of your chapters is called Finding Your New Normal. Now, the, w- when, when we go through a section of our life that we just love, where everything's clicking and, and those are years that we're very fond of, a lot of times we try to recreate, we try to make the exact same, you know, if I could just get back with them, if I could just, if we could just, you know, it, it's like you're trying to rebuild a moment of the past, and and if it's gone, it's gone. How do you, how do you find joy? How do you, um, with with a new normal, how do you how do you build a life around that where you are truly genuinely okay with letting go of the past and and building a new normal that that you genuinely enjoy? Absolutely, you know it's that writing the cart thing. You know you can spend all day long and break an arm trying to write that cart, but if it's not going back upright again, 
you got to find a new cart. And sometimes that means jumping on that horse and hanging on. And I remember at one point after the divorce when I had moved away and my daughter was crying about she really missed the old house. And this was about a year after the divorce, so she was still struggling with these feelings, of course, and so was I. But, um, you know, life had not become perfect for her or me yet. And I remember her saying, I miss the old house. And I said, you know what? I built that life. I built that life. You lived in that house because of me. And just give me time, honey. Just give me time. And I'm going to build a new life. And a few years from now, you're going to smile and you're not going to be shedding tears over that old house anymore. And it was true. But that was the key is it did take time. I think that, unfortunately, some people find a new cart a little too fast. You know, like rebound relationships, you know, or a wild shift in career to something that's totally nuts or moving across the country. Uh, They say after you suffer a loss, like if you're a widow, they say don't make any major changes for a year, you know, because you'll have all kinds of thoughts like, oh, I should just sell everything and move to Australia, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and that's just kind of the desperate search for a new cart, right? But right. sometimes the new cart doesn't have all the stuff in it that it used to, and it doesn't seem the same. And so it does take time after you even find a new cart to really build it back to the way it was, you know, get all the, the resources into it that you once had. And I hate the whole the whole time heals all wounds thing because, Obviously, it doesn't, you know, time, it does not heal all wounds. There's real work that has to happen. If time healed all wounds, then every addict would be totally cured, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but what it time does do is it allows you resource gathering. So when you're in this spot and you realize you can't write the cart and you're desperately searching to write the cart, you got to stop fighting. You got to stop fighting the universe. You have to move forward and gather resources because the longer you spend, you know, with your shoulder against that broken cart, then that's more time you're not spending gathering resources for your new life. Right. Well, you, you know, you talk about the rebound. You talk about the well. I want to get back to some sense of normal, and here comes an opportunity. And you mentioned about um, um, settling. I can't remember verbatim the words, but but you you accept something that really isn't your cup of tea, so to speak. How, what's the metric? How do you measure uh, something completely new? I mean, you're you're creating your life from scratch. Um, what you were used to is gone. And and here comes something that looks pretty damn good. How do you how do you uh, prevent yourself from just going for that quick fix? I mean, how do you measure that? Yeah, that is a tricky one, especially because it, invo- it involves a, an element of risk, right? Right. I mean, ideally, we take our time, right, and we evaluate that new cart, and we figure stuff out, and we wait until we're really, 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 really sure. Uh, But in real life, there's always going to be an element of risk, and so you have to take calculated risks with the information you have at the time. And that means, again, being resourceful. Reach outside for outside opinions, you know, from a therapist, a trusted friend, your mom, whoever you have in your life who has a good head on their shoulders and is willing to put you in your place if you're doing something crazy, you know, talk to that person and get some feedback Um, because it really, sometimes you can't see beyond your own nose when you're going through trauma. Right. Well, time can go by pretty fast. I want to, I want to tell you, I really like this book. It, it's, um, it's right to the point. It, it's very comprehensive, and and the material is all encompassing. I mean, you've really done a good job at making a very powerful tool for helping people get through it. So I want to commend you on on this book that you've written. 
Thank you. And I got to give a shout out to Llewellyn Worldwide, my publisher. They are a dream to work with. Been working with them since 2009 on all my titles, and I love them. They are a great company. Well, now it's time to shine a light on you. Now, we've been talking about your book, Getting Through It. Um, take the time and share with our audience everything you want to share with our audience, including any modalities, websites, books, offerings. Um, let us know about you. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, if you want to find me online, you can go to twitch.com slash queen of diamonds. I like to stream on weekdays now that it's the pandemic, and it's a good way for me to connect with readers so we can continue the conversation. Also, if you would like to find my book, Getting Through It, Reclaim and Rebuild Your Life After Adversity, Change, or Trauma, you're going to find it wherever books are sold, and of course you can find it on Amazon. But I would really encourage you to reach out to your local independent bookstore and ask them to order my book in because independent bookstores are hurting right now, and they need your patronage, even if you're going to stop outside and do a curbside pickup or something. It's hard times for our retailers. So, yeah, that book again is Getting Through It, Reclaim and Rebuild Your Life After Adversity, Change, or Trauma. And thank you so much, Liz, for having me on your show. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. It's, uh, such a fun episode. <laughs> We've been talking with Alexandra Sharon, and the topic tonight has been Getting Through It, Reclaim and Rebuild, your life after adversity, change, and trauma. So you're a timeless soul. The essence of you cannot be broken. The continuity of your consciousness is assured. So many times when we, when we spend all the time in our ego, our ego feels vulnerable, our ego feels fear, it feels anxiety, stress, worry. But our soul has, our soul has um, a perspective of the truth where it doesn't know fear, it doesn't know limitation, it doesn't know anxiety because those are all aspects of our ego. When, when you're struggling with, with life, and and you have heartache and and really challenging feelings that there's a deeper wisdom there's a deeper knowingness inside of every one of us and to connect with that before you have a difficult time will make it robust for you to to connect with that what I'm saying is to invite the, the wisdom of your heart and your soul into your everyday life. Invite it into your everyday life. Well, how do you do that? A lot of times you'll be, your mind will be busy. You'll be doing something. Perhaps you're unloading groceries from the car. Perhaps you're doing the dishes. And... If you're new to this, a single sentence will pop in your head. Hey, write that book. And a lot of times, the very next thought we have, we, we pull that up into our head and we start rationalizing it. Write a book? Who am I to write a book? I don't know, squat about grammar. What do I have to say? And our ego, our ego beats up the inspiration of our heart and our soul because our ego cannot see the path, cannot see the purpose. I tell you, <laughs> for myself, the first time my heart and my soul told me to write a book, I'm, I beat it up. My ego's like, good golly, no. Not only no, but hell no. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. But thank God I didn't listen. I, the, the, the inspiration comes, and I actually took action and wrote a book. The, my first book took six years. It was I was dragging my feet. I didn't feel like I belonged. 
six years later, I have a book in my hands, and I decide not to publish it. Wait, what? When you take six years to write a book, the way you talk changes. The way you language changes. And I I felt like it was kind of a a popcorn type of of, uh, languaging in the book. But now I've written a bunch of books, and I tell you what, writing books is is a joy for me. Thank God my ego was able to get past that. You know what? If you want to kick your own fanny, do you need a, the the spiritual kick in the fanny to to motivate yourself to get on target with your life purpose? Here's a very simple thing that you can do, and I suggest to you over time, it will it will give you an insight into your life. Very simple, but it'll give you an insight into your life. Go get some post-it notes or pads of paper, whatever, and put one by your bedside, put one in the car, maybe one in the kitchen, and pay attention to your thoughts. And just like I was saying, you'll be unloading the groceries from the car, and here comes a sentence out of seemingly nowhere. Write a book. Okay, stop. There's the sentence. Write it down, write it down. Don't think, just write down exactly the sentence you've heard. Now it's ink on paper. Then go ahead and take your ego and beat it up and say, I can't do that, there's this, there's that, and all the rationale crap that your ego will throw out there to resist it, but it's ink on paper. It exists in physical form. And so the first time you do this, it's going to be like, okay, that was kind of curious. And then maybe the next day or a little while later, here comes another sentence. And what you're learning to do is recognizing when the sentencing that, that your thoughts have come from your heart and your soul. Here comes another, take that yoga class. Write it down. Don't think a single thought until you've put it on paper. And don't edit it. Write it exactly how you heard it. Your heart and your soul know about how much time, how much money, how far you travel. Your your heart and your soul know everything about your life. So it's not going to suggest to you something that's out of the realm of possibilities, regardless if your ego can understand that or not. So what, what's going to happen over time, if you if you are diligent with this, you're going to start seeing a theme show up with all these post-it notes. For myself, I thought I was a, a television broadcast engineer. Who are you? I, I work in TV. I'm an engineer. I'm a dad. I'm a this. I'm a that. And I had my life all buttoned up. I knew who I was. I quote, knew who I was. I had no idea who I was, but I thought I knew. And the cosmic two by four cracked me open and I'm starting to get all this inspiration from my heart, my soul. And I'm, I'm making notes and and if I look back on the results of that, well, here I am um, 12 years into my own radio show. I've written like six books. I've, um, I've listened is what I'm getting at. I've listened. And I, I've seen a theme for my life come out of all these post-it notes that show me a vision of, of why I'm here. shows me a vision of my life purpose. It shows me a, a possibility of what my life could be. And I tell you what, <laughs> damn, damn, it's been, I feel, I feel wonderful. I feel fulfilled. I feel excited. I know there's more inspiration coming. 
I know my heart, my soul have plans for me this year, next year, the year after that, five years out, 10 years out, 20 years out. There's this whole flipping plan that my ego doesn't have a clue about, per se. But my, uh, I, I learned how to trust. I taught my ego how to trust the wisdom of my heart and my soul. And that changed everything. Well, that book I wrote, the first book I wrote, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, is, is talking about just that, teaching your ego to recognize the raw value of those little sentences that pop in your head, the value of the inspiration of your heart and your soul. From your ego's perspective, ego, if I were to be talking to my ego, look, ego, look, here's here's the deal. I know it's fun to run the whole damn boat as an ego, but there's this really cool wisdom. There's this really cool vision. There's this bigger aspect of ourselves that's, that's got this this whole big plan for our life. And if we can just make room for it to show up as inspiration and we capture that inspiration and then we take action on it, damn, that's when life gets really cool. If we can, if we can learn how to do that, we'll live a most exceptional life. And, and so to, to teach your ego how to honor and respect the wisdom of your heart and your soul, <laughs> believe it or not, was the topic of my first book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power. And now I am, I feel so blessed. I feel so, um, I feel just so genuinely happy to be me, even though I, I'm a work in progress, even though I don't know where my life is going verbatim. I have some big visions, and I expect them to be fulfilled. And if my heart my soul brings some big-ass left, take a hard left here, I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to I'm gonna recognize that there's a reason and a purpose to it. And so my, it, it's like my ego's off the hook. My ego doesn't have to figure every damn thing out. In fact... My ego can let go and relax. My ego can let go and relax, and when my ego lets go and relaxes, my body relaxes, and I sleep better. When my ego relaxes, my body relaxes, and my health improves. When my ego relaxes, I'm not so caught up in the in the narrative of the collective consciousness. I, I have a sense of stability, a sense of sovereignty, a sense of dominion over my own life. Well, you showed up for yourself. You're listening to this show here and now. Kudos to you for showing up for yourself. I promise you that your ego cannot comprehend. Your ego cannot fully comprehend how flippin' wonderful your life can be. And the way you can find that out is is to develop a relationship with your heart and your soul. Develop a relationship with that, that deeper wisdom within you. When you get good at that, then the headlines don't have that much sway. The headlines don't uh, tip you over. Your legs are stronger. You you know who you are. You know why you're here, and and that can bring a deep sense of comfort. Well, always a pleasure. This is my passion. This is my purpose to help others discover the innate power that every one of us has. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. It's always a pleasure. I'm your host Les Jensen. Until next time. Thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open, check out our host, Les Jensen's book, Citizen King, 
the new age of power at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.